peace between God and rebel enemies, what can he do in a state of glory in heaven? If in a state of weakness he was able to reconcile us to God by his death, how much more in a state of power, all power is given unto me, is he able to save us to the uttermost? If in a state of shame he was able to justify us by his blood, how much more in a state of honor, crowned with glory and honor at the right hand of God, can he intercede and save us today, tomorrow, and in the great day of judgment called here the coming wrath that is coming? Oh, brethren, rejoice in this. If the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on a cross, in weakness, thirsty. I mean, he needed water. Bleeding. Dying before the two thieves. If he was able to reconcile us to God by that event, how much more shall the one who said in Revelation 1.18, I am alive forevermore. I was dead but I am alive forevermore, that one that's living shall certainly save us. Rejoice with me, brethren. Rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. There is a man right now, clothed with glory and honor, and crowned with it in heaven. He is described in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, and chapter 19 of that book, in glorious splendor. He shall never lose, not a single one. He said so when he was on earth in a state of humiliation and weakness in comparison to a state of glory and power. If his death, which is the taking away of a life, was able to save us in the ways of legal salvation, reconciliation, justification, how much more shall his powerful life save us? Because he is there living, ever living for us. And he's in the presence of God right now for us. May the Lord bless us to appreciate and to rejoice in these things. Romans chapter 5. Let's take it phrase by phrase quickly because I want to go on and share with you some aspects of his intercession for us. Much more than, I have not spoken sacrilegiously or foolishly or impetuously in comparing his present life to his death. His death was the glorious sin offering or sacrifice for our sins. It was the death, the substitutionary death necessary for us to live. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus Christ suffered death for us, and thereby we can be given the gift of God, which is eternal life. That death is important. However, though Christ's death is described in verse 6, though it's described in verse 8, Verse 9 begins with much more. Right. There's something that the Lord wants us to lay hold of. And I fear that it's often neglected. The Catholics sure don't know anything about it. Right. They have Jesus hanging on a crucifix wherever you go. They still have him on a crucifix. The Bible does not have him on a crucifix. Amen. The Bible has him seated at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. Right. And he's doing something. See, they don't want that Savior because they have someone else doing it. Who do they have doing it? Mary and the saints and the Pope. But primarily Mary. Mary, pray for us sinners. 
We have someone praying for us, and it's not Mary. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. They have the Lord Jesus Christ in a state of humiliation and shame on a crucifix, but our Lord Jesus Christ is either standing in Revelation chapter 1 or riding a white horse as the commanding captain of the host of heaven in Revelation chapter 19. And he is our priest. What what a king priest. He is everything. He is all in all for our souls. Much more than. There's so much that could be said, and maybe I'll come back and say it, because I just rejoiced in that. I, I remember seeing that for the first time, and Lord, are you sure? Much more than? It's more than the death? It's much more than the death? What are you trying to communicate? 35 years ago, and I thank God for it, and I've been looking forward to this verse, except I don't know how to communicate well, but I want to try to communicate, and I want you to rejoice in the much more. There is something going on that should add to your confidence and security about eternal life, much more than the Son of God dying. It's the Son of God living. If when you were enemies, if when you were the enemies of God, he was able to make peace with God so that God looked upon you with love and affection as a friend by his death. If he was able to accomplish that by his death, how much more by his life can he take reconciled children and make sure not one of them is lost? There's a decent comparison there. And so the comparison is much more in both verses. Lord, help us to this end. Much more than being now justified by his blood. That's because the death of our Lord Jesus Christ has been described in verse 25 of chapter 4. And it's been described in verses 6 through 8 of this fifth chapter. Much more than being now justified since justification is over. From a legal standpoint, it was finished at the cross. When Jesus said it is finished, we want to limit that to certain aspects of his legal salvation that he secured for us. Because his work didn't finish there. He had to rise from the dead, and then he had to ascend into heaven, and then he is fulfilling, ever living, to make intercession for his saints. But there was a a certain aspect of his legal salvation for us that was finished in the cross. The sin offering had been offered on the cross. The death had occurred. That was finished. It is finished. We can't look at those words and make them so comprehensive that they crowd out the rest of the New Testament. Please, don't let that happen. They're wonderful words. There's nothing to be added to. The sacrificial death and substitutionary death of our Lord Jesus Christ that took place 1980 years ago. We're thankful for that. But being now justified by His blood, it was His blood that did it for us. It's been described from chapter 3 and verse 24 all the way to the present verse. Being now justified by His blood. See, we ought to be crying, Sola blooda! Instead of... I made that up, folks. Anybody in radio land or by way of internet listening to that, they want to shout sola fide? How about sola blood? 
Because that's what it says right here, is that we are justified by His blood. And your faith doesn't add a thing to His blood. He laid down His life. He gave up His life. He shed His blood. His blood flowed out of many wounds, many more than Wesley gave him credit for in that song. He bled from more places than five. And I hope you're able to quickly add them up in your head that they're way beyond five. If you were to count each landing of the scourge on his back, you could have 30 to 70 there. Remember, the Romans weren't bound by the same law as the Jews. Anyway, he shed his blood, and it's by that blood that we are justified. But that is a settled issue as the apostle progresses through Romans 5 at this point. He wants to progress past that. Much more than... Being now justified by His blood. I've explained His blood in chapter 3, parts of 4, and in verses 6 through 8 of 5. That is a settled issue. Justification is finished. But there's something that's much more. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. A future tense deliverance. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. There's a future day of wrath coming. Did chapter 2 and verse 6 tell us about it? Who will render to every man according to his deeds. And verse 16 of chapter 2. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There is a coming day of wrath. The newspapers, the magazines, the internet, the news media, the weekly readers that your little children read... Try to tell you about global warming, the dangers of red meat, too much salt in your diet, and all the other ridiculous, hallucinating ideas they have about health today as a danger. And no one talks about the coming day of wrath in which this world will be burned up with fervent heat and we shall all stand before the holy God of heaven, give an account of our lives, and if your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, It is the lake of fire for you, and it is the lake of fire for me. If our names are not found in the Lamb's book of life, and we shall spend eternity being tormented by the Holy God of heaven, along with the devil and his angels. And no one talks about it. But we come into the house of God to be reminded of it. But when we come into the house of God and are reminded of it, we are also reminded that we have a Savior who justified us by His blood, so that we shall be proclaimed righteous in that day. And who's delivered us from the wrath to come, as First Thessalonians describes it. For if, back to verse 9, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. He is making the distinction of the phases of salvation that we have been taught to make by the Holy Spirit. Being now justified by His blood is a past event that was in place by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a future deliverance that He is going to be able to guarantee by His life. He is alive. And it's the Lamb's book of life that will be opened. If it's the Lamb's book of life that makes all the difference between the lake of fire and eternal glory in heaven, do you think the Lamb might be there? Do you think the Lamb might be there to guarantee and to make sure as our surety that every name in His book is ushered into heaven. And so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We shall be saved from wrath through Him. There is wrath coming. No one talks about it. The Bible declares it repeatedly. We need to think about it. We need to live in light of it. But we need to rejoice because we've been saved from it. And He shall surely save us from it. Because if it is His death that got our names covered in the book of life, how much more shall His priestly life save us? He is at the right hand of God. He is His beloved Son. Every prayer is heard. He pleads His case. And like we sang in a song, what a plea bargain it is. It is my life for theirs. Already paid, but still reminded in the presence of God as an intercessor for us. The mediator is a present role that Jesus Christ has for us. There is one mediator. There is, not was. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 8 that we began with this morning in those six verses that I read to you described a minister of the sanctuary that is in heaven doing the work of a priest on an ongoing basis. We have a priest. We have a high priest. We have a great high priest. And he is the son of the living God. And he has been given a position by that God at his own right hand. And he shall save us from wrath. And he will not lose a single one. He said that in his state of humiliation and weakness on earth. And now he's in a state of glory and strength and power in heaven. He will not lose one of them. And you're to lay hold of that. And his life should be much more convincing and reassuring to you than his death. Not only is a life more powerful than a death, common sense comparison there. I mean, there's no power when you die. There's power in your life. Of course, there was sanctifying, justifying, redeeming power by his death. But what about the power of his life? When he died, he raised us from being the enemies of God to being the reconciled children of God. He lives to take the reconciled children of God and guarantee their final salvation. Verse 10. For if. He's going to help you understand why the words much more than. Why this comparison. And it's one I've just made to you. For if. When we were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Emphasis on death. Much more being reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. If an advocate, a lawyer, a priest, a mediator, dies for a criminal in order to satisfy the claims of justice against him, that's one thing, and the apostle grants that that is what took place. But now that that advocate is alive, how much more by his life and presence at the right hand of God is he able to secure the absolute salvation, the final salvation of all the elect? Romans 5.10 If a death, compared to a life, was able to reconcile enemies, how much more being reconciled will we be saved by his intercessory role at the right hand of God? For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
There's so much less to do by his life, and there's so much power, more power, to do it by his life. And we are to rejoice in the words much more and understand that we are having things revealed to us that even most Bible-reading, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Christians miss and underemphasize. And it comes from the Mother Church. By focusing on Jesus on the cross and missing the role that He presently has. We're not going to neglect the Lord Jesus on the cross. We're not going to neglect His burial and His resurrection. We remember those in the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're told to remember His death till He comes. To remember it. Because where is the focus of our thoughts? On something much more. His life for us in heaven. He's pleading for us. Not as a beggar. As the Son of God. Praying for us as He did in John 17 while He was on earth. For His disciples and for all those that would believe on Him through their Word. Do you know that Jesus prayed for you when He was on earth? Do you think He stopped because He's in heaven? Not a chance. He has now taken up the full role of an intercessory priest in heaven. He'll not lose one of us. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We look back and see the cross, and we rejoice that our justification was settled by the shedding of His blood. Verses 6 through 8, referenced here in verse 9 by saying, being now justified by His blood. Verse 11 is going to tell us we look back and we realize that we have something that we should be joying in right now, that we have received the atonement by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11 is going to tell us present joy. Verses 9 and 10 are giving us future assurance that Jesus Christ is going to save us by His life. And He's ever living to do that for us. What what a wonderful concept. What a wonderful comparison is here in Romans 5, 9 and 10. Lord, we are so helpless in the weakness of our minds to grasp what Jesus Christ has done, is doing, and shall do for us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, open these things to us and bless us to rejoice in them, to be thankful for them, and to live in light of them. Help us, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me spend a few minutes with you about the intercessory life of Jesus Christ for us. You should know what the word intercession means. It involves going between... It involves praying, because it's called in the Bible, prayers and intercessions be given for all men, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and other places. An intercession is going between, it's going to God, and Jesus Christ intercedes for us with God as our mediator. There's one mediator between God and men right now, the man, Christ Jesus, in heaven, at the right hand of God. And God does not have either a left hand or a right hand, literally. He is a spirit. But the right hand is the position of power over the universe, and that's where the Lord Jesus Christ is. He has been promoted there because He did everything absolutely perfect on earth in the way of being our sacrifice. But He is a mediator between God and men. He represents us to God. He seeks God's blessing upon us. 
He did it when he was on earth, but his real priesthood didn't begin until he got to heaven. And now that he's in heaven, he ever lives to represent us to God and to bring down God's blessings on us. And we want to look at that and rejoice in it. The priestly work of Jesus Christ goes far beyond the cross. Death was only the sacrifice. A sacrifice needs presentation to God. And Jesus Christ took it into heaven and presented it to God. Some say he was a priest on earth and a king in heaven. Wrong on both counts. As we read in Hebrews chapter 8, his priesthood is in heaven. And he's a king there, but he was also a king on earth, wasn't he? He, Pilate knew he was the king of the Jews, and when he was asked if he was a king, he said, you bet I am. He had his kingdom here on earth. They get confused. Let's not be confused. He's a king priest, and he's fully into his offices now that he's exalted in heaven. He's especially a heavenly priest, for it's there that he appears for us before God. This is a glorious work that is going on right now. Right now, the Lord Jesus Christ has a role as the great high priest between us and God. He is bringing down God's blessings on us. He prays for us. He cares for us. He directs the affairs of the universe for us. And He asks the Father to forgive us when we sin. He enables our prayers. He blesses our prayers. He assists them and He prays for us. Like He did Peter when He was on earth. He's an intercessor. If we withdraw these things, we leave the word intercessor void of any meaning. And we've just been told that there is something much more than his death that we better get our hands around if we're to appreciate Romans 5, 9 through 10. There's no reason to study through this epistle if we're going to blow over two verses like Romans 5, 9 and 10. By God's grace, we're not going to blow over them. I want to share with you some things. Something is being done for you right now in heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth is praying, beseeching God for you, and representing you to God as His Son and His brother, and is your priest, making sure that the relationship, not that Certain aspects of it are necessary because the sacrifice was paid once for all and he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. But he will not lose a single one of us and he will care for us and care for you individually every day of your life. The man Christ Jesus is in heaven for you. It was symbolized in the Bible. The Old Testament is a testament of examples and shadows. Symbols. When we look at the Old Testament sacrifices, and I hope you've read Leviticus 16 to grasp that particular holy day of the Israelite calendar, there was sacrifices burned on the first of two altars. There was a brazen altar, but there was another altar. The first one was made of brass. The second one was made of gold. The first one had the shedding of blood and the burning up of the animals. The second one had incense going up into the presence of God in the form of smoke that throughout the Bible is described as the prayers of saints and the intercession of them to God. So think about the symbology of the Old Testament. The life is taken, the blood is shed out there on the brazen altar. 
Then coals are taken from that finished sacrifice, placed in the golden altar of incense, incense put on it, and the smoke goes up into heaven because both are necessary. The death has to occur. The death needs to be presented to God. The priest takes of the blood of that altar and goes in and sprinkles it every day inside the holy place. And once a year, inside the holy of holies. He sprinkles it on the mercy seat. We need to look past just the animal dying on the altar. Because God is already showing us that there is more. There is more than just the death and the shedding of the blood. There is the taking of the blood into the presence of God and sprinkling it there. Now the Bible says that we've been sprinkled by the obedience and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When do you think that occurred and where do you think it occurred? Was it on the cross? Because, and I do not, somebody got splattered? No, no, no. It's in heaven. When his sacrifice was presented to God, I died for my brethren. I died for those that you gave me. And it was presented to God, fulfilling the symbology of the Old Testament. Those two altars are important. They're two work, they're two different acts of the priest. He slays the animal and burns on the first altar, but then he takes coals from that fire and makes another fire and burns incense. He kills the animal on the, the altar and he takes of its blood on his fingers and goes in and sprinkles it seven times. It's, there's the death, then there is the presentation. And the Bible describes it in the Old Testament that way in much detail. Intercession requires sacrifice to have any merit, but sacrifices without being presented are incomplete. It's revealed in the Bible. Uh, Romans 5, 9, and 10, a good place to start. It was symbolized in the Old Testament, but that's not where we New Testament Christians go for our doctrine. It's pretty easy to see once we know the New Testament, but let's just go straight to the New Testament. It's stated right here that there is some work of the Lord Jesus Christ taking place now and shall take place in the future that is much more than His death in guaranteeing our final salvation. And the Apostle's trying to teach us that. Look at chapter 8. Let's see the other revelations of it in Scripture. Quickly with me. Romans 8, 34. There is something going on in heaven right now. There is a priest, a man, the man Christ Jesus, and he is there as our surety to guarantee our salvation. Amen. He isn't engaged in any other work. He's not counting the trillions in God's treasury. He's counting the members of this church and measuring their souls. And it's pastor. Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3. He is fully engaged in blessing us, helping us, chastening us. Remember, chastening is love. Chastening us, warning us, rebuking us, promising things to us, praying for us. And he'll never lose a single one of us, nor will he ever leave us. He is not distracted nor occupied with other professions because his role is the high priest of the church and kingdom of God. 8.33. Look at this. He, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? 
It is God that justifieth. Now, please think with me. I know that some of you, this is a thought that, that sounds nearly, nearly sacrilegious or irreverent about Jesus Christ's death, but you're missing the point. And I want you to watch a verse like this. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. That's a settled event. Jesus died. The elect are saved. That's all there is to it. Stop worrying. That's how some people read Romans 8.33. But I want you to see what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand about Romans 8.33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. There's the sacrifice on the brazen altar. It is Christ that died, yea, rather, yea, rather, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. That is how we're freed from charges and condemnation. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? A death paid for them, and a life guarantees them. This is our salvation. This is its, it being revealed in the pages of Scripture. And you know I like the words, yea, rather. Do you like the words, yea, rather? Don't they agree with the much more and the much more of Romans 5, 9, and 10? In these three verses, we have much more, much more, yea, rather. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. And it's a wonderful event. You know, it's called a feast in the Bible. The Day of Atonement's called the fast. It's the only fast in the Jewish calendar at that time. It's called the fast. We're going to have the feast. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ is a wonderful thing. But there is a life of intercession going on for us that we do not want to overlook. We have a minister in the true sanctuary right now in the presence of God for you. He was tempted in all points like as you are. Do you think that there is something in your life that is tempting you physical pain, lustful fantasies, problem children, a difficult spouse. Do you think there's anything that he can't relate to in the way of pain, temptation, and suffering? And he's in heaven for you right now. Amen. You want to talk about intercession? He can, he can pray for you like you can't pray for yourself. Thank you, Lord. We're, we're going to get into that. We've gone two places. Romans 5, 9, and 10, Romans 8, 33, and 34. We want to see it revealed that there's something going on in heaven that in these three passages is described as being much more powerful and much more certain to our salvation than his death. And it is to be much more pleasing to us, much more reassuring to us than just his death. It's that he's alive in heaven for us. Hebrews 7, Hebrews chapter 7, the lengthy chapter about the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ being so superior to the priesthood of Aaron. Its arguments are wonderful. It's precious logical reasoning. There's so many arguments there that are so good. We'll leave, we'll leave them. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, but this man, Because he died once for all as a permanent priest. No, it doesn't say that. It says, 
But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. So there is a priesthood that extends out to the right, to the, to the right on the timeline, out into the future. This man, because he ever liveth, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he continues ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Not like the priests in verse 23 that die every few years. Verse 25, wherefore? Because his priesthood just keeps extending right out into the future. It didn't, it didn't start and end at the cross. It extends out into the future. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Your salvation is based on the sacrifice of the cross, but then it is based on the living intercession of Jesus Christ as your priest for you. And it is that life that never ends that is able to save you to the uttermost. So that Paul could say, I am persuaded that neither death, that was in the future for him, life, I don't know what the rest of my life has in store for me, not height, nor depth, not principalities, powers, not anything in heaven or earth can separate me from the love of God. which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Amen. Look at this verse. Do you see in this verse, in the verse before it, that the emphasis is looking outward into the future of Jesus Christ's role as our priest? Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost. His death is in verse 24. What's the wherefore in verse 25 relating to? Wherefore. What is in verse 24 that the wherefore is calling up to make the conclusion? The unchangeable priesthood because he continueth ever, which means he's alive forevermore. It's his life of a continuing priesthood that's being drawn upon in verse 25. In a verse that we quote often, he is able to save us to the uttermost. The great day of judgment will be one horrible spectacle. But we will be delivered that day because he will save us to the uttermost because he is alive and he is alive forevermore. And he will be there and he will deliver us. These are the revelations of it. Look at chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Jesus Christ's intercessory life for us. Verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, he didn't go into Moses' tabernacle or Solomon's temple or Zerubbabel's temple, which was standing in Jerusalem when Paul penned these words, which are the figures of the true. They're just examples and shadows. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now to appear in the presence of God. For us. Everything done on earth was a pattern for us to see what's done in heaven, and we do that through the spectacles of the book of Hebrews and the rest of the New Testament. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ is in heaven now. Paul wrote this after the crucifixion and the resurrection by 40 years or 30 years, and he wrote these words later, and he said, Now Jesus is in the presence of God. In heaven for us. 
There is a role that he has there representing us to him and calling down his blessings upon us. Renewing the memory of what he did for us constantly. He'll be there as our surety. He guarantees the everlasting covenant because it was signed and sealed in his blood. Because a testament is of no force until the testator has died. And he's there as our advocate. Oh, I don't want to get that verse yet. But he's there for us now in heaven. These are wonderful verses. Lord, help us to appreciate them. Look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 1, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It does not say we had an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who died for us. It says we have an advocate with the Father. An advocate is a lawyer. An advocate is a mediator. An advocate is a priest. An advocate is someone who goes in between and takes up our case with the Father in heaven. Well, what's under consideration here? Your sins. Do you have an advocate in heaven? Does he have anything to plead? His own shed blood. Is he able to obtain forgiveness for you? He is faithful and just to forgive us according to three verses earlier than this in 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins because there's an advocate there pleading the case of our sins being paid for. And so that when we confess them, the practical fellowship with God is restored again because our advocate is there pleading the case. I paid for them. They have fulfilled the condition for practical forgiveness. They have confessed and forsaken. Father, forgive them. Bless them again with the fullness of your spirit. Amen. This is going on in heaven all the time. You say, but he, you don't know about the terribleness of my sins. No, I don't know about your pitiful little sins. I know about the terribleness of mine. And I know that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. And he is a faithful and merciful high priest in things pertaining to God. We have an advocate. We have an advocate that's presently in the business of taking care of us if any man sin. If any man sin, is that past tense? Or is that present and future? If you sin, the Lord Jesus Christ is there for us. Oh, Lord, thank you. You know, heaven rejoiced when Jesus Christ came and ascended up into heaven in Revelation chapter 12. He rose up into heaven and they cried out, Now is the accuser of our brethren cast down. Because there was someone there that was our advocate. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yes. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who maketh intercession for us. There's no room for the devil in heaven. There's no place for him there. There's no charges he can bring because there's an advocate there. Jesus Christ the righteous, our high priest, doing his intercessory work for us. Look at Revelation chapter 3, 5. Revelation 3, 5. He that overcometh, this is a description of the saints and the elect of God. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. 
That is a future tense work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was written after the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ is doing His intercessory work by confessing our names to His Father. Father, I died for that one. That one is mine. And look at their life, Father. They are overcomers. They have heard my warning to the churches. They have heard the Word of God. They have heard the Spirit of God convicting their souls. And they have overcome. I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. Uh, Now, I have little bumps all over me trying to tell you this. And I wish I could put the little bumps in your soul. And I'd rather have them in your soul and my soul than here. But tell that is glorious stuff. Right there in Revelation 3.5. That is wonderful information. Jesus Christ confessing your name, you, before His Father and the holy angels. You know what those overcomers had to put up with in many cases? They died the deaths of martyrs. You don't go through anything compared to them. But there's the Lord Jesus Christ. How Would that get you excited to go to the flame the next day if you read that? The night before? I mean, would it work you up a little bit? If you had faith, it would. If you had faith, it would. The Lord Jesus Christ is standing at the right hand of God. Let me go back and read about Peter. I mean, um, um, Stephen. Let me go back to Acts chapter 7 and see. Oh, Jesus stood up to receive Stephen. As Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, if the Lord Jesus receives your spirit, who else is going to receive it? The Father and the holy angels. Because who's going to tell them to? Every angel and principality and power in this universe is under the Lord Jesus Christ. (sighs) Yea, rather, I think so. Much more, I believe so. There's something going on in heaven right now for us. I'm just looking at some verses showing you. I'm not not going to take the time to go back to Hebrews 8 that I read to you earlier. Those first six verses, did they tell us that we have a minister in the sanctuary right now, that's the true sanctuary in heaven? Did those verses say that? Okay. We wanted to prove it by the Bible's revelation of it. It's a shame that the intercessory role of the Lord Jesus Christ as our priest is neglected. It's a shame. We want to see this. Let me describe it for you just quickly. Intercession... Representing us to God, bringing God's blessings down on us, going in between us and God, it's based on His death. But it's necessary to complete our salvation. This is the way the Lord's laid it out to us as He's revealed it. It carries His sacrifice to God. Because Hebrews 9.12, look at it with me, Hebrews chapter 9.12 tells us that He took His blood into the holy place. So there was something going on past the words, it is finished. His death was finished. The sacrifice on the brazen altar was done. But that sacrifice was carried into heaven. Hebrews 9.12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. There is the legal phase of salvation completed. Legal phase completed when Jesus entered in to the holy place, not on earth, but in heaven for us. Wonderful words. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Verse 24 of this chapter. 
For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, one on earth, one designed by Moses, Solomon or Zerubbabel, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Jesus went into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Just like that high priest went into the presence of God once a year on the Day of Atonement for Israel and for himself and for his family and for all the Levites and for the tabernacle and for the altar. He had to appear in the presence of God with blood. The Lord Jesus Christ is there appearing now for us. We've been to Romans chapter 8, the judicial defense of us. Who is he that condemneth? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, whoever liveth to make intercession for us. So there's a judicial aspect of it. He's up there stopping any charges against us. This is the picture that God wants us to have of our redemption. Jesus Christ is involved in the work of being a priest right now. There's practical forgiveness. I've been over that one with you. What kind of a priest is he? Look at what chapter 2 and verse 18 says about him. And verse 17. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. When you sin... Didn't you love those words? If any man sin? Is it an if with you or a when? And I don't mean that foolishly or profanely. It's a when. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Hebrews 2.17 Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. I am describing his intercessory work to you right now by passages of Scripture. He is able to help you. This is not legal salvation in verse 18. This is not him paying for your sins by his blood. This is him being tempted because he was made as a man just like you are and is able to succor you. That means to help you. Praise the Lord. We have a high priest that understands us, understands what we face in this world, and is able to help between us and God by telling the Lord how hard certain things are how difficult they are, and are able to succor us by getting from God, drawing from God for us, greater blessings of His power and comforting presence of His Holy Spirit and the angels. He is able to succor. He is able to help. And you know 4.15, it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Listen, brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ helps our growth in sanctification. He sanctifies everything we do. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Did Jesus pray, while you're turning there, did Jesus pray in John 17, sanctify them? Did Jesus pray that to His Father in 1717? Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. What kind of a prayer was that? 
was he praying for the Father to further the sanctification of 11 men? Is that what he was saying? Yes, that's what he was saying. That's what he does. He did it on earth, and he's doing it in heaven. He's interceding for us. He ever lives to do it. And as we are obedient, the prayers of the Son of God bring down God's blessing on us and further our sanctification. Everything we do is tainted with false motives, weakness, sins. Everything we do is corrupt because we're in these bodies of corruption. But the Lord Jesus Christ makes them acceptable by His incorruptible body and His perfect life of righteousness. Watch. 1 Peter 2.5 Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Have you ever, do you think that you have ever done anything in your life that is acceptable to the holy God of heaven? No way. Even the heavens were not clean in his sight, the Bible says. He has to humble himself to behold the things in heaven, let alone the things in earth. The, the prophet Isaiah, with a one-second viewing of the Lord of glory, said, Woe is me! Job, just a short view of, this, of the holy God, put his hand over his mouth and said, I shouldn't have spoken. John fell at his feet as dead. Peter, seeing the glorified Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, glorified by a miracle in his life, said, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. What makes our sacrifices acceptable to God? How can we sing in this little building and have it go all the way into the presence of God and please Him? How can we have sinned this past week and confess them and come in here and have our singing, our praying, our preaching, our hearing, our fellowship in the Lord's Supper get past this ceiling? How? The verse tells you how. By Jesus Christ. He's in heaven interceding for us, representing us to God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Lord, receive their sacrifice. Glory. This is wonderful. Amen. This is his present role for us in heaven. John fourteen thirteen puts it this way. John fourteen thirteen. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are pleading the name of the Mighty One that is at the right hand of God, and you will obtain what you pray for, because the, the Son and the Father will do it for you. I'm sorry for turning so quickly. Ephesians 2.18 For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. How do your prayers get to heaven? How do your prayers get into the ears of God? Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians 2.18 For we both, Jews and Gentiles, are the context here. For we both have access. What's the, what's the media? The media here. We both have access. Ephesians 2.18 By one Spirit in 2.18 unto the Father for through Him it's the verse starts off that way. For through Him, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. This is how our prayers get to heaven, through the intercessory work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. 
You get distracted when you're praying. Your mind runs. You have things to do. Other thoughts pop up. Your prayers are pitiful. So are mine. We struggle when we pray. But who doesn't? The Lord Jesus Christ. He prays for us. Thank you, Lord. Through Him, we have access by one Spirit. Because we know from Romans chapter 8 that His Spirit prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And He prays for us according to the will of God. He seeks the conversion of His people. In John chapter 17 and verse 20, He said, I pray not for you only, but also for them that shall believe on Me through your word. Did you know that Jesus Christ was praying for you 2,000 years ago? Only 30 years into His life. And He's been praying for you ever since. Because He's praying for you in John 17 in His prayer of intercession. And He ever liveth to have that ministry of intercession. Did He tell Paul in Acts chapter 18 and verse 10, Don't be alarmed and don't be afraid. No man's going to hurt you. I have much people in this city. Who said that and did that? No one's going to hurt you. You just keep right on preaching. I have much people in this city. The Lord Jesus Christ said that. All spiritual blessings are in Him, and I have to end here. I have so much more. So sorry, Lord. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him Freely give us all things. Romans 8.32 All spiritual blessings come down from heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ bringing them down from heaven to us. A great example is the day of Pentecost. What does Peter explain in those verses about that event? Didn't he say, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, He hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. The Lord Jesus Christ calls down the blessings of heaven upon us. He represents us to God, having suffered the same things that we suffer, yet without sin. So it's a two-way work of a priest in things pertaining to God. He is able to succor or help us. He is able to bring down God's blessings. He prays for us. He assists our prayers. He prays the things for us that we need the most. Our sanctification, our growth in grace, our conversion. These are the things that Jesus Christ does by His life. And He does them every single day. He is not diverted nor distracted. He does not cease in His praying like you cease in your praying and the way that you are distracted and diverted. You have a great high priest, the minister of the sanctuary in heaven, and he ever lives to take care of you now, and he shall take care of you in that great day. For your name is in the Lamb's book of life, and he will confess your name before his Father and before the angels. The evidence in your life that can lay hold of that by faith, you're an overcomer. You overcome the temptations in your life, and you do those things that are pleasing in his sight. He is in heaven at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. And the Lord hears his every prayer 
Just like he said in John 11:42, at the raising of Lazarus, I know that thou always hearest me. And now that he's in heaven, he always hears him. Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And it should be much more sure to you. Romans 5, 9. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If his death took us from condemnation and enmity to reconciliation, peace, and friendship, if his death did that, how much more will his life secure us forever? What a priest. Not only did he die for us himself, he ever lives to work as a priest between God and us, bringing down blessings and representing us to our Father. We have an advocate. I hope you appreciate what the Bible teaches us about it. There's more to be said. I'll try to say it at another time. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.